Well, good morning. Welcome again to First Baptist Church. We're so glad that you've joined us for worship, and we do trust and pray that God has prepared your hearts sufficiently to hear the truth that he has for you today, that he will speak through this time together as we look into his word. A couple years ago, I was sitting at a basketball game over at Seymour High School with Jean and Miss Jean and a, a couple other people from the church. And as we were sitting there, uh, Jean kept getting phone calls. And uh, she leaned over to me and said, hey, uh, do you know if there's a problem with the electricity over at the church? So well, I, I haven't heard anything. No one's told me anything. I, as far as I know, everything's fine. She said, well, I've gotten a call from a couple of people now telling me that the lights are off at the church and they're concerned because the lights are off at the church. Like, well, what could they possibly be talking about? And so I figured that what they were talking about was our big spotlights that we have out front. You know, the lights that if you drive by at night, we have big spotlights that shine up on, on the church in the front and, and give a good view of the front of the building. And so I figured that maybe our spotlights had gone out and maybe there was something like that. I was like, so, okay, Gene, just hold on for a second. I'll run outside here in front of the school and I'll look over and see if the lights are still on. So I ran outside and I look over at the church from where at the high school, and sure enough, our, everything is still lit up like the, the, br- the bright crack of morning, right? It is, it is just so bright out in front of our church. And so I come back in, and I say, Gene, I don't know what they're talking about. The lights are on. I mean, everything is over there. Everything looks like it's supposed to be. She said, well, I'll, I'll call her and check and see what exactly she meant. So she calls the lady and says, you know, hey, we look. The lights are on. And Jean comes back to me. She said, well, I figured out what was going on. I said, well, what was it? What was the problem? And she said, she wasn't talking about the lights in front of the church. She drove by and realized that the lights inside of the church was, were, were off. And she figured that since nothing was going on at the church or there were no lights on, that something must be wrong because there are always people at First Baptist Church. And I thought, what a great testament to what God is doing here at First Baptist Church. I mean, usually when, in a lot of churches that I've served, when people drove by, if the lights were on, then that was a problem because that meant that there were people in the church at a time when people weren't supposed to be at the church, right? That's, that's the norm. It's a Friday night at 7.30. Who should be at our church at 7.30 on a Friday evening? But here we are, someone's calling with concerns because there's nobody at the church and there's always somebody at the church. I think about that a lot, and I, 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 I love the, the imagery of that. I love the, the fact that when the lights aren't on at the church, there's a problem. There's a whole different sermon that we could go into with that, and we'll save that for later. But, but the thing that jumps out at me in the context of what we're doing is that, that in order to have the lights on as often as we do, there's an electric bill that goes with that, right? Like, like. Duke Energy doesn't just give us the electricity out of the goodness of their heart. When you come in and you go to the bathroom, you probably like when you go into the bathroom and the toilets flush and the water turns on when you go to wash your hands. Well, the public works company doesn't just give us that water out of the goodness of their heart. There is a bill attached to that. I know for a fact that we like it when our HVAC units function properly. Most of us. 
right? We like that. We like the air conditioner to be working in the in the summer so that it can be, keep cool in here during the hot months. We like the heater to be working so that we can keep it warm in here during the cold months. And when it doesn't work, we hear about it. Well, you know the. The heating and air conditioning companies, they don't come work on our units gratis. That, that's not free. We have to pay for that service. We have to pay to put in new boilers. We have to pay to put in new air conditioning units. That, that all costs money. And while, while it's inspiring for us, we love to give to the, 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 the mission projects that we do, Right? I will give it to this church that if, if we come up with any kind of crazy randomness and say, hey, we're going to serve this group of people, we're going to do this thing, this church comes through early and often in amazing ways. And, and everybody, the community comes through in big ways because we like giving to projects that are really tangible and in front of us with big goals. It feels much muchier, if you will, when we get to do these special things that have a very clear end date and a clear goal that we can hold up in front of everybody and say, look how awesome this is. We like those things. And, and, and I, I enjoy doing those. But, but that is not what, what keeps things running. The fact is, as much as we don't like to talk about it, it takes money for us to do ministry as the local church. For those of you that don't know, our annual budget is somewhere around $750,000 for the year. Of that, we give at least 20%, and I say at least because we've been as high as 25 in the past, we give at least 20% of our operating budget to missions, meaning, and that can be to anything as, as far as the, the foreign ministries that we support, for missionaries that we support, or, or different agencies like the American Baptist Churches of Indiana, Kentucky, or the American Baptist Churches USA, we, or, or international ministries, those agencies. But it also goes into our local agencies. We give money on a regular basis to Clarity. Uh, we give money on a regular basis to Anchor House. We give money to provisions. We give money to the clothing center. We give money. If there is a local agency doing something good to care for people in this community, our church gives money to it. And that's part, of our, that's part of our ethos. That's our, the spirit of who we are as a church is to be involved in mission. But, but I, I want us to remember that what we do here every week is a vital part of the mission as well. And it costs money to keep the building open every day, to make it available to different people that want to use it for different missional opportunities and community service opportunities. Here are a few examples of some of the things that we spend on a weekly basis to keep ministry working here at the church. Salaries cost about $5,000 to keep the ministries running. I, I hate even telling you that because people are like, oh my gosh, that's so much money. Well, there, there are five of us, six of us, I don't even remember anymore. There's a bunch of people that work here full time. We have a full time worship pastor that makes sure that everything is operating, that makes sure that our technology, so that you can watch it at home or on vacation, makes sure that the band is aligned, makes sure that we have songs ready. And that takes time to make sure all those things are ready. Prepares to work with the choir, prepares to work with the orchestra, take, is integrally involved in the doing of the, the messenger that we use every week. We have office staff who answers the phone when you call or calls back when you leave a message. 
who makes sure that we pay all these bills that we have. We have... We have a facilities manager who sets up and tears down classrooms so that they're ready when you come in and cleans the building so that your bathrooms are at least relatively clean and that our sanctuary is clean and that our our building is in good working order. We could go on. Insurance costs us about $235 a week. Electricity costs us $531 a week. Gas costs $318. Grounds maintenance costs $343. Parts and repairs cost $440. Sewage costs $80. Postage costs $44. Office supplies, $44. Janitorial supplies, $100. Phone and internet, $60. That's a small little glimpse of what we pay on a weekly basis to keep things running around here. To make sure that that we can do what we do to feed people four nights a week down in the fellowship center. To make sure that we have space available to do celebrate recovery, to do grief share, to do uh, American Baptist women when they meet here, to do any number of groups that are coming through. These aren't the most exciting expenses. But if we didn't pay them... Your experience on any given day at the week at First Baptist Church would be much different, or in fact, not at all. Throughout Scripture, God has invited his people to contribute financially to his work. To to give of their resources to assist in what he is trying to do in the world day in and day out. We've got a couple of examples that I'd like for us to look at, and and I've chosen them both intentionally, with one being in the Old Testament and one being in the New Testament, to establish that there is a pattern when it comes to these offerings that God invites us to give. Sometimes when God calls his people to give to these offerings, like in Exodus, it was for the purchase of, of stones and different things to put together a facility, if you will, in putting together his house and his tent of meeting to keep his house running. And other times it was to keep the operational expenses of caring for people and doing God's work going like in 2 Corinthians. But in both passages, we find some useful principles as we consider how we should be giving as the people of God. Now I'm going to read both of these passages to you starting in Exodus 35 and then going to 2 Corinthians 9. And then I'm going to bounce back and forth between them interchangeably. to to talk about the principles that they give us because I think they overlap in a great many ways. So open with me first, if you would, to Exodus chapter 35, verses 4 through 29. Exodus 35, 4 through 29. And Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair, ramskins dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece." All who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle with its tent and its covering, its coverings, its clasps, its frames, crossbars, posts, and bases, 
The ark with its poles and, and the atonement cover and the curtain that shields it. The table with its poles and all its articles and the bread of the presence. The lampstand that is the light with its accessories, lamps and oil for the light. The altar of incense with its poles, the anointing oil and the fragrant incense. The curtains for the doorway and the entrance to the tabernacle. The altar of burnt offerings with its bronze grating, its poles and all its utensils. The bronze basin with its stand. The curtains of the courtyard with its posts and bases. And the curtains for the entrance to the courtyard. The tent pegs for the tabernacle and for the courtyard and their ropes. The woven garments worn by those ministering in the sanctuary, both the sacred garments for Aaron the priests and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence and everyone who was willing and whose heart was moved in them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work of the tent of meaning for all its service and for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Everyone who had blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen, or goat hair, ramskins dyed red, or other durable leathers brought them. Those presenting an offering of silver and bronze brought it as an offering to the Lord, and everyone who had acacia wood from any part of the work brought it. Every skilled woman spun with her hands and brought what she had spun, blue, purple, or scarlet yarn or fine linen. And all the women who were willing and had the skill spun the goat hair. The leaders brought onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. They also brought spices and olive oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord freewill offerings for the work of the Lord that Moses had, who the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. Now I want to take a quick minute to notice something. I mean, this really could be an itemized budget, if you will. They didn't deal in cash. They didn't deal in hard currency in the way that we did. They dealt with goods and services, and they dealt in valuable stones. And some of these things just aren't all of that interesting. You know, what if you're the guy that just gets to bring some tent pegs? I mean, do you really walk around and be like, I gave that tent peg right there. That one was mine and that rope. I mean, bring, bringing some yarn. I mean, you could look at all these things, all these different poles. All these, you wonder, if, you would think that maybe Moses, if, if, if they were like some of our churches today, they, they would sit down and say, now we need to talk about these expenses. We didn't vote on these. Do we have to buy all of those poles? Could we maybe do with a few less I mean, Aaron and his sons, maybe we could just use a few less of them and we could have less uniforms. You don't see that in the passage, though. But the, the, the point I'm trying to make is not about the people's response yet, but the fact that all of these things are not that great, right? I mean, this is not, this is not all that exciting when you take them as their independent forms. These are just everyday, ordinary objects. I get that they are expensive objects, but they are not exciting things. They are things used for building to put together a tent. But God asks for offerings. God says, hey, look, I'm gonna, I want my tent to be built. This is how I want it to be built, which is probably why they didn't question it. Moses says, look, this is God what wants us to do and says, this is where we're going to do it. This is what we need. And the people say, okay, we're in. What do you need? We'll come back to that. Let's flip over for a quick second to 2 Corinthians. 
2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. It says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, both of these passages give us a glimpse into what the heart of giving should look like. What our attitude and approach should be to coming and giving offerings to the Lord to be used for his service. We can note in both passages that we see an invitation. An invitation to bring offerings. God invites his people to give of what they have to serve his purposes. God invites his people to give of what they have to serve his purposes. Now notice when we, when we look back in Exodus 35 first, we, we see in Exodus 35 that taking an offering was a command. Right? If we go back to Exodus 35, looking in verse 4 and 5, it says that, this is what the Lord God has commanded. From what you have, take an offering to the Lord. The command was to take an offering. The command was to take an offering. Hey, hey put out the collection box. You're going you're gonna to take an offering for me, and you're going to invite the people to give. The, the command was take an offering. The command was not to give. Giving was optional. Taking the offering was commanded, Giving was, in fact, optional. We see in the text that God was in the market for a, a mobile home, if you would. He, he wanted to have a, a physical space that he could take that could represent his presence in and amongst the people. A place where they could come, and, and yes, God has always been available to people in all places at all times, but a very specific place that would represent his presence where people could come, focus their hearts and mind, and do business with him so that they could go about their lives in peace. The tabernacle was to serve as a physical reminder of the deep spiritual truth, namely that God was with them wherever they went, and actively working on their behalf for their good and for the good of the world. 
served as a place to literally come and meet with God. A place to seek God's favor, to see his face, and to get right with God. It was a very sacred and incomparably important place for the people of God. So much so that God himself gave the instructions of of how to build it and, and what materials were to be used. A place where God's physical manifestation of his presence literally came down from heaven and dwelt with them. And here with this very important place that was going to be a a center for this very important work of God that was going to serve as this very important symbol, God issues an invitation for his people to take part in building it. To contribute financially their resources and to contribute their abilities physically to to put it together. Now, I want to be clear, this offering was not the tithe. We liked it. I wish, I wish, I wish that I believed that the tithe was the standard. Doing this sermon would be so much easier if I could just come in and say, hey, look, God says he wants your 10%. Give your 10% the end. But the fact of the matter, as I even talked this morning, the, the 10% was the first tithe. There, there were actually other tithes that were to be given depending on, on what you gained as you went. So it was 10% of anything you gained at any period of time was to come to the house of the Lord. And, and really, the tithe was a, a civic tax. It was a tax given by the people of God for the work of the people for the people. Remember, Israel was a nation at the time that the tithe became a thing with the people of Israel. There was was a civic side to that. But there were also these offerings where the people were given optional opportunities to contribute to what God is doing. And that is what we see here in Exodus 35. That God is building his temple, he's building his tabernacle, and he doesn't tell people they have to give. As a matter of fact, I wonder if God just didn't even want their resources if they weren't in. With as special as this was going to be, look, if you want to come help, you come help. If you don't, I don't want you to be a part of it. God is inviting his people to partner with him in helping his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's issuing an invitation to join him in his work. And I think that is what offerings are. When we give of ourselves, we we see it when we are physically, tactilely doing things. Even that, though, we we have to call and and bring it in. But that is an offering. But there there is something to be said for giving of our resources to contribute to what God is doing. It is something that God's people have done from ages past up until now. And God still issues that invitation to us today. Here's the truth, though. God doesn't need us to accomplish his will on earth as it is in heaven. God does not need us. Remember, the scripture tells us that he owns the cattle on a thousand hillsides. Everything that we have is a gift from his hands, which means if he wants it from us, he can forcibly take it. But God doesn't do that. God could issue a command. There could be very clear commands. And and again, this would be much easier for me. But instead, God says, I want you to have the opportunity. I want you to have the option. I want you to decide to come along with me. God doesn't have to have us contribute. God wants us to contribute. God doesn't need us to jump on board. Remember, Jesus himself said, hey, look, if you don't do the work of sharing the gospel, these rocks will cry out and take care of my business. 
You see, we often see this idea of giving offerings and contributing to what God is doing as an obligation. We want to know what must I do like the man in the story a couple weeks ago. What is required of me? Well, let me take the, let me take the pressure off you. Finance is like, no, don't say this. You have no obligation. God has given you what he's given you. You do with it as you feel he is leading you to do with it. But God invites us to be a part of what he's doing. Invites us to give to what he's doing in the world. Remember in Genesis 1-1, just to illustrate God's ability, says there was nothing and God says, let there be light. And then it goes on and on and God says and something happens. And God says and something happens. You don't think God could create the entire universe, start it spinning and keep it going with the power of his word and the power of his presence. But God can't build a tent. I mean, really. Like complex galaxies that are, are, are just f- so incredible incredibly finely tuned that everything works just as it should, right? Like the earth, that if it was just a little bit one way or another, we'd either burn or freeze to death, right? And God can, God can create that and put it and keep it exactly where he wants it, but God can't make sure that his ministry goes on, that his kingdom functions and is provided for in the way he wants it here on this earth. I mean, it, to me, that's amazing that here we have this all-powerful God that could do anything he wants with or without us, and he chooses to do it with us. He makes space for us to be a part of his work. In his grace, he invites us to join. And not only that, but he has handed us the keys to the kingdom. It's like the story we looked at last week, right? It's like a king that goes off into a foreign country, and as he's gone, he says, look, here's my resources. You guys, you guys make this work while I'm gone. That's what God has done for us. He's invited us into his work. He's invited us to, to take responsibility and, and to be a part of what he's doing to make his purposes come about. It reminds me of like a, a parent who is, is working on a car or, or who is, is baking some, some good for a holiday season. And the parent invites their child to come help with them. Right? Like if, you're, if you're a parent who knows how to work on a car, it, sometimes it's easier for you to, to just do it yourself, right? You know what tool you need. You just get in there. You don't have to worry about about the kid asking questions. You don't have to worry about the kid getting in and touching the wrong tools and getting in there. You don't have to worry about the kid wanting to do it. But, but a good parent will oftentimes want their kid to do it, right? They'll want them in there to contribute. Now, that, they don't need the kid to, to turn that wrench. They could do it better and easier by themselves. But they want their child with them. That parent that's doing the baking, it, it would be much easier for that parent to deal with the, the cups of flour and sugar without the child sending it all over the kitchen. But there's something intrinsically inside of us that wants us to, to bring others along with us to help them learn, to help them see, to help them experience. And, and coming and working alongside that adult, that parent, that, that's not an obligation. It's a privilege. I think we should view our giving to the work of the Lord in the same way. I think we see it wrong. 
We see it as a tax. We see it as a bill. We see it as something paid for services rendered. That we, we see it as an obligation, but God never intended it to be so. God wanted us to see it as the privilege that it is to take part in his work, to, to live and be his people, to be his hands and feet, to be his representation here on the earth. And while the requirements of the tithe no longer exist, the invitation to contribute offerings to God's work continue to be made available to us. That's what we see in 2 Corinthians. That here as we pass from the law being restrictive, Paul talks a lot about that, that we're no longer under the law. Paul still is receiving offerings. The offer for us to contribute to what God is doing, to make contribute contributions from what we have for the continuation of God's work on earth as it is in heaven is here to, to be a physical manifestation and representation of God with us. Verse 15, Paul recognizes this opportunity to give as it is. He says, thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Seems backwards, doesn't it? I mean, we, we think of gifts as something that, that we receive. I mean, uh, those are the gifts we prefer, right? The thing we, where we get to open it, we get to keep the thing. But here Paul says, no, 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 no. The gift is not, in fact, what we've received, but, but that we've received and then can give to God. Paul tells us to see it as a gift now this is what I really want for us to focus on this because both of these passages have this same kind of idea flowing through them. That offerings for God's work should come from willing and glad hearts. Offerings for God's work should come from willing and glad hearts. Did you notice it in Exodus 35 as I read it? If you go back and read it again, count how many times the phrase... All who are willing, or all who were willing, comes out in the text. It is the constant refrain. In Exodus 35, 5, it says, Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering. Exodus 35, 21, Everyone who is willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord. Exodus 35, 22, all who were willing, both men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds as a wave offering to the Lord. Exodus 35, 29, all the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. And we can look at the text and realize that it wasn't just resources. That was a key element. That was, in fact, the key element. And I don't want to get too far from this because I've already told you for three weeks that God wants everything about your life to be offered to him. All of your relationships, all of your resources, all of your time, all of your energy, all of it should be available should God at any point in time ask for it. But in this text, we see that, that, that it wasn't just resources they were to offer, but also their skills and abilities. Exodus 35.10, all who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. Exodus 35.22, and all the women who were willing and had the skill spun the goat hair. One of my favorite phrases, repetition means remember. 
the author of Exodus wants his readers to recognize and remember that this offering that God is asking for is not compulsory. People were giving simply because they were passionate about what God was doing and they wanted to play a part. They gave because they wanted to. As a matter of fact, we see in in the Exodus 35 text that the people were so willing to give that Moses had to order them to stop. He, he He had to close the collection bins. It's one of my favorite passages. Exodus 36, 6 through 7 says this, Then Moses gave an order, and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were strained from being more because what they had already given was more than enough to do the work. I can only imagine what that must have been like. I mean, I've, I've been in churches, and, and this is not the case. I, I want to be clear here that First Baptist Church, God has been more than faithful to us over the years. That God has always provided what what we have needed to keep the ministry going. And that is a credit to you as the congregation. That that we have had the money to keep the lights on. That God and his grace have provided us the money to to pay for pretty expensive and extensive repairs to the HVAC units over the last couple of years. God, God has continued to give us money to beautify the church and to upgrade some of the facilities in the way that it, it looks. God continues to be faithful to us. But more often than not, the churches that I've been in, I've never been in a place where we had to say, wait, 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 wait. Don't give us any more. I mean, we're going to have to open up another bank account. Y'all keep giving like this. Please, please, please make me do that. Like, I want to preach that sermon. I want to be the pastor that gets up and says, please just hold it for now. Hold it for now. We can't use it anymore. And I promise you, this is my promise to you as the pastor of First Baptist Church. If we get to that point, I promise you I will preach that sermon. (laughs) Never been in that church before, though. God is faithful. He continues to meet our needs, and we thank him for that. We praise him for that, and we thank you as the church for playing a part in that. But I remember sitting in board meetings with Pastor Nathan when we worked in North Webster where the board chair had to look across the table at the various staff and say, hey, um, so we can't pay all of you next week. Is there any way that one of you can hold off for a week or two until we pay you? I remember sitting in board meetings where they looked across the table and said, hey, we are going to have to cut our ministry to this or that because we don't have money. And I remember actually saying to the board chair, okay, so which kid do you want me to tell they can't go to camp? Which kid do you want me to tell cannot, they cannot go on the mission trip because we don't have the money? And I remember having to tell kids, we can't offer you a scholarship this year. I can imagine that moment as Pastor Tim steps up here at First Baptist Church and says, I've got an announcement, does his announcements. Welcome to First Baptist Church. We're so glad that you're here this week. We're doing this thing and this thing and this thing. Come be involved. 
Remember to fill out your, your guest cards this morning. We're so glad that you're here. We got a gift for you. And while we're at it, y'all, we put away the offering baskets because we can't take any more money. We can't, you guys are just too generous. You've given too much. We're gonna have to press pause on the giving. Sorry, I know you're disappointed. I know you're disappointed. But we need, Pastor Jeremy's gonna talk about it here in a minute. What an amazing thing that Moses got to do. They were so willing that Moses had to order them to stop giving. But that's, that's the heart of giving is, is this desire, this willingness, this, this allowing God to move and work in our hearts. And I think that part of that is considering, a big part of that is considering what does God want you to give? As New Testament Christians, we are to give freely and willingly as we determine in our hearts. I like to say this, that what you give is between you, Jesus, and Miss Jean. What you give is between you, Jesus, and Miss Jean. And the only reason she got to know is because she does the accounting and gives you your tax, whatever majabra you do at the end of the year. I don't know what you give. I would say that I don't care what you give, but I do. And that's why I don't know. Because I don't, I don't ever want what you give to give you any power over me that you unduly would have. I, I don't want what you give or don't give to impact and influence the way that we as pastors deal with you. Whether you give $100,000 or a dollar or no dollar, I want us to love you and care for you the same when you come and you need assistance from us. So we don't know. Only Jesus, you, and Miss Jean. But each of us should give as we decide in our hearts to give. There, there should be this evaluation that takes place as we seek the Lord's guidance on what he would have for us to give. I do think that there's a, an element of commitment between us and the Lord that we should make. If he has right to everything and we are to make him a priority, prior, the priority, we should prioritize giving to his work and taking part in these offerings that are available. And we should seek his guidance, seek his face as we wonder what we are going to give. But it's not something that is forced upon us. And if we're giving reluctantly, perhaps we shouldn't be giving. But when we give, we should give humbly and gladly. The attitude with which we give is every bit as important as the amount. Again, we need to remember Christ's requirements, though. Pretty extreme. He wants access to every part of you and all that you have at all times. So we should be seeking, again, his guidance on what he would have us to give and how he would have us to serve. But it is between you and him. Paul says, again, in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 9, that we're to give with thanks to God for this indescribable gift that giving is. We're to do it, if we look back at the beginning in chapter 9, verse 6, that we're, we're to give generously, that we are to give with gladness, for God loves a cheerful giver. We need to remember that 
the ability to give, not just the opportunity, but also the ability. The opportunity is an invitation that God has made to us, but the ability to give is something that God generously gives to us. God generously supplies our needs so that we can generously support his work. Verses 10 and following of chapter 9 in 2 Corinthians. Now he who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And that through your generosity will result thanksgiving to God. Your produce can only proceed from what is planted. Verse 6, chapter 9. Sow sparingly, reap sparingly. And Paul does seem to be indicating in 2 Corinthians 9, 9 through 10, that our investment, the investment of our resources in God's work, does have a promised return. This text has been used time and again to manipulate people into giving massive sums of money in the promise that God will make one rich if they give enough, I am not promising you that. I am not promising you that. Scripture does tell us that God will, will provide our needs if we faithfully follow him and trust him. Scripture does seem to indicate that, that there is a portion that we should be giving to God, that we should be offering back, and that he will, through that gift, supply to us and also work through us in the world. But the fruit that we should be looking for most as we give to God's work should in fact not be financial windfalls. But the produce of righteousness in and through us. The greatest produce of that which we invest into gospel work is always seen through the redemption and the restoration of human hearts and changed lives. That's what we're dealing in here. See, when we give our money and we contribute to the church, it is not just so that we can have one Sunday service and come in here and sit and listen to our favorite songs and be encouraged and then just go out back about our lives. That is part of it. But what we're doing in here is about more than being warm or cool, depending on the season, but it's about being equipped so that we can go do the work of the gospel on a daily basis. What we do is about more than just having the building standing here. It's about having places where people can meet and can find Christ and, and can experience wholeness and healing. It's about being a beacon of hope and a presence of God's love in this community that, that not, doesn't just sit here on the corner of 505 Community Drive, but that also goes out and shines in the community at large. Our acts of gracious giving are physical manifestations of the grace of the gospel that allows us to sow the proverbial fields and reap the seeds and the harvest of what God is doing. They are seeds that blossom into opportunities to lead people to deeper levels of commitment and understanding of who God is and the work he's doing in the world. It was true for Moses and company when they gave of their resources to build the tabernacle of meeting. It was true for Paul and the early church as they received offerings and used them for, for the, the, the purpose of serving the communities that they were in and caring for people and sharing the gospel. And it's true for us today. 
As the saying goes, God will surely bless the gift and the giver when we offer to him freely with glad hearts, willing hearts, open hands, knowing that every good gift comes from God, whether it be what we've been given or what we have the privilege to give. As we consider how God would have us to give to the work of First Baptist Church, may we remember that giving is a great opportunity, an opportunity to serve Christ and to make him known in this world, to spread his love. It's not an obligation that's forced upon us, but an opportunity to once again serve and to join with his work on earth as it is in heaven. Father God, I pray that you would guide us and direct us. Lord, I pray that in these moments, as we've sing this song of conclusion, that, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, that you would work and move, that you would help us to know what we should offer and give to your work through this church. Lord, we trust you. We know that you will faithfully provide our needs according to your power and to the work of your spirit. Lord, particularly through the hearts of your people. Lord, as we sing, I pray that these would be more than words to us today, but that we would offer you to you all of ourselves as we consider the portion of our resources that you would have us to give to your church. In Jesus' name, amen.